1: Well, a wonderful Wednesday afternoon. How are you? And welcome to the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440, live on Oilers Nation YouTube and uh, Facebook. Of course, online, it's sports1440.ca. If you got the app, iHeartRadio, radio player app, or, of course, the Stingray app, you can uh, listen there. As well, on uh, any of your devices in your home, Wherever you have it, uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us as uh, we're going to talk a lot of sports. Today, as always, uh, a few other things, have a little bit of fun with some uh, some other topics going on right now. The Gregor Show, as always, is presented by playalberta.ca. And how does it feel to win 17 consecutive games in the National Hockey League? The owners don't know it. They're hoping they'll know how it feels when they return. But uh, we will open up today with a guest from the 1993 Pittsburgh Penguins, who won 17 in a row, and then they had a tie in their final regular season game, and then it ended. So who knows how long their uh, you know their undefeated streak could have went? It was at 18, 17 wins, and then a tie to uh, end the season. Uh, Troy, lonely Stanley Cup champion with the Penguins, and of course was part of that uh, dominant 1993 team. We'll uh, we'll talk about the run the uh, the Pens had. Of course, uh, Tyler Remchuk will be by as he does uh, every Wednesday. Uh Paul Sir will uh, join us, talk a little hoops in the uh, three o'clock hour. Uh, Mike Rupp, uh, ace analyst from the NHL Network, will be by. We got Mark Specter, and how about a uh, Hall of Fame coach, Ken? Hitchcock will be, uh, joining us on the, uh, program today. So, uh, looking forward to, to that. Should be great. There's, uh, lots to discuss as always. I have lots of time for you. 833-401-1440. 833-401-1440 in our UL inbox. That's also the phone number. If you ever, uh, tickles your fancy, you want to, uh, go old school and call the show, feel free. 833 401 833-401-1440. Uh, today we're going to get into it cause I had a lot of texts, uh, yesterday on the show. Uh, some that, you know, I'm always intrigued uh, by some ideas. Some are good. Some are, I'm like, are you kidding me? And right? It's, it's like suggestions that, um, I, I saw the, uh, uh, in an article today, the, uh, member of the Olds Grizzlies talking about how, hey, you know what? The, the league won't die, which I totally agree in the AJHL. Those five teams are moving to the BCHL. But then he talked about, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, those five teams are leaving. Maybe someone in those markets will uh, start a new team. And I'm like, what? You think Sherwood Park's going to host two Junior A teams? You think Grove Grove's going to have two Junior A teams? What are you talking about? Like, that's the most ridiculous statement I've heard in a long time. The AJHL right now didn't have enough quality players to keep their league competitive. So, you're going to have five teams that aren't, they're not folding. They're moving to another league. They're still using junior A players. Still 16 teams. And then you're going to add more? I guess if you just want to water down, uh, your talent pool more, go right ahead. But, uh, I would be, uh, I would be surprised. Uh, very surprised. So we'll see. But, um, uh, the idea, you know, people were wondering about the, the Edmonton orders and they're, uh, you know, was their schedule that easy? How how easy was the order schedule? Well, well, let's be honest. The orders had a very favorable schedule. There's no debate on that. They only played Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays. They played Chicago and Columbus. They played some weaker teams. Now they played some top teams too, but they played more weak teams. That's valid. That's not a lie. But here's the thing: just because you play bad teams doesn't guarantee you wins. The Boston Bruins. Set the NHL record last year. They won 65 games. They only lost 12 games in regulation and then won in overtime. Out of their 12 regulation losses, four of them came to bottom against bottom 10 teams. I'm telling you, even the greatest regular season team in NHL history didn't win all their games against the bottom feeders. No one does. The Edmonton Orders have won eleven in a row against bottom ten teams in the NHL. They are four and one in that span against top ten teams in the league. Pretty good. Eleven and oh, four and one. And they are nine and two versus teams like Toronto, LA teams that aren't in the top ten. But are playoff bound or within three or four points, right? Detroit's, New Jersey's go down the list. 11 and 0, 9 and 2, 4 and 1. They're 24 and 3 in their last 27 games. In that same span. And I only looked at the top 10 teams because the Orders are now a top 10 team in the NHL. All right? They got the seventh best points percentage. Uh, they're not going to have the seven most points because they played fewer games, but they're a top 10 team. So I looked at Boston, New York, Florida, Carolina, Colorado, Dallas, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Vegas, and Vancouver. And guess what? None of those other top 10 teams won 9 of 9 or 10 of 10 or 11 of 11 versus the bottom feeder teams. None of them had a better winning record against top 10 teams. None of them had a better winning record against the middle teams. So the Oilers have the best winning percentage against the top teams. They have the best winning percentage against the middle teams. And they have the best winning percentage against the bottom teams. Any suggestion that the Oilers are only winning because they had an easy schedule is simply false. Now, I understand that opposing fans would say that. That's that's what sports is supposed to be fun. Of course, they're going to chirp your team. You think a Canucks fan is going to be like, hey, wow, I really like your team. You guys are doing awesome. What are you talking about? Oiler fans are like, hang on, Vancouver, their shooting percentage is unsustainable. Not going to happen. How many of you repeated that as an Oiler fan? That's what you should do. Of course, you should chirp. To me, though, if you're like a reporter and you start reporting things of, oh, it's an easy schedule, you're not doing any research. Right. You're trying to be a hot take specialist. You're going to school where P.K. Subban goes to school right now in broadcasting. Let's just make up theories that aren't backed up by anything factual. It makes no sense. Now, if we want to argue an opinion, hey, I like this player. I like that player. Right. Some fans get really twisted and not because I'm like, I'm not on the Sean Walker train. Like, oh, my God, Sean Walker is the answer to all the orders. Right. Defense pair problems. Doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not taking a defenseman who has had a really good stretch of 45 games, who has never played basically in the playoffs. He's never played as a top pair guy, top minute guy in the playoffs. When my team is a cup contender, that's not the guy I'm adding to my top pair. I'm not. Now, somebody else might want to, but I'm not, just because of 45 games and some what some analytics say. Because here's the number that I look at. He's 5'11". And all I got to do is look at the history here of NHL playoff teams. And size on the blue line matters. Now, you can get upset because you've argued for years that it doesn't matter, but you'd be wrong. It does. Now, for elite guys like Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, there's always exceptions. But Sean Walker's not an exception. Okay? He just isn't. It To me, I'm a GM of a team, and I always try to put my, if I'm the GM, if I'm Ken Holland, is that the play that I'm making? Because here's the thing. If you actually want to look at numbers, you could first, if you wanted, make a change internally. If you're that down on Cody Ceci, you could say, let's try Vincent de there. Now, you can go and look at Vincent de numbers against elite players this year. It's not a lot of minutes, right? But he, I looked at his numbers with McDavid and without because obviously when you play with McDavid five on five, the way that line's playing, you're going to have some better numbers. But Vincent de that's actually quite good numbers. Even Cody Cc. Anybody would tell you, if you have a 48% right, DFF or you know, dangerous Fenwick against elite players, that's good. He's at 51. Or 50.4. 50. Excuse me, let's be accurate. He's at 50.4. Is there, is there some weaknesses in Cody Ceci's game? Sure. He's not a great puck retriever. I don't think he's magically going to become one. But he's a good enough player. I'm not taking Cody Ceci out who put Sean Walker in. I don't even think I'd do it for William Carrier. Now, Chris Tanev, I can listen to that argument. He's a really good defender for a long time. So that one, I can understand. Now, the problem with Chris Tanev is, in order to trade for Tanev, Calgary's got to take CeCe back just to make the cap hit work. And then you got to give up more to do it. And if you're Edmonton, you probably have to give up more than you would if you're, say... The New York Rangers because it's your biggest rival in your own backyard. That's just how it's going to be. So, you know, we can debate and discuss all we want about Sean Walker. Awesome. But there's, when you want to throw out things of easy schedule and that's the only reason a team wins, it's just simply false. Right. First of all, there's only, if you're a top 10 team, there's only nine other teams in the league in your category. Right. That's it. But you know what? There's 22. Other teams so twenty two to nine of course you're going to play a higher percentage of games versus the twenty two than the nine It's just simple math but the orders even during this run have the best winning percentage against the top teams they're four and one now they play Vegas what if they win that game then they're five and one now for the orders February again. And good teams, to me, take advantage of advantages. That's what a good team does. And if you look at the order schedule, even in February, it's still rather favorable. And when the when the month starts, I think if Edmonton should be at least eight and four. If I look at their schedule, they have uh, two sets of back to backs. Neither one of them is very difficult in travel. Well, they don't have to fly between games. Because they play in Anaheim on Friday, the ninth, and in LA on the 10th. There's no flight. Two weeks later, in Edmonton, the 23rd against Minnesota, 24th against Calgary. Both games at Edmonton, you're sleeping in your own bed. Those aren't very difficult uh, back to backs. The, uh, the top 10 teams they face in February Vegas on the road, Boston at home. They have a lot of games against kind of the middle tier LA, St. Louis. Detroit, oh, sorry, they have Dallas. So they got three games against top 10 teams. They have six games against the uh, the middle tier. And the middle tier isn't bad because middle tier can still be playoff teams. L.A.'s a playoff team. They face them twice. Detroit's a playoff team. St. Louis, right on the cusp. Playoff team. They play them twice. And then they've got three games against bottom 10 teams. Anaheim, Minnesota, Calgary. So three top Three bottom, six in the middle. Not an overly difficult schedule. They always have a um, every Sunday off, and they have a you know they have a few weeks where they have Sunday Mondays off again, which obviously worked very well for them in the uh, in the month of January. So eight and four seems very plausible. Heck, if they went ten and two, I wouldn't be shocked because a they're a good team, and good teams take advantage. of, of other teams, regardless of when, who, or where, and that's what the orders have done. Uh, did you know the orders actually have the best points percentage in the NHL since November first, and they lost their first four games in November, and they still have the best percentage. You go a little bit later in the month, and then they're way ahead of everybody else. So they have been on a, quite a good run. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, worry about it too much. Hey, Gregor, uh, to back up your point about Boston season, they won many of their games against bottom teams. So do the naysayers claiming the record doesn't count? Joe Bananas. Well, they won a few, yeah. That is, you know what? There's only, 10, there's only 10 bottom 10 teams, and if they're in the West, five of them were, they only played 10 games against those teams. So, yeah, they still, the majority of your games are going to be against the top 20 teams in the league. It's just how it is, so. Guys, it's crazy that schedule is set up like that. Any team could be good without the analyst or schedule knowing it. Why well, play the games if we know who's going to win from Steve? <laughs> Bang on, Steve. Like that. I've been chuckling because I've seen a few pundits and I'm like, what are you, who would ever suggest uh, the schedule is the, now is schedule a small factor? 100%. Here's one factor. But then you could say, well, here's another factor. Their goalie in his last 21 starts has a 935 say percentage. He has a 1.76 goals against average, which, by the way, is tied for best in the league with Connor Hellebuck. Only Hellebuck has a better save percentage than Stuart Skinner in those 21 starts because he's faced uh, 49 more shots than Skinner has. They both allow the same number of goals. Exact 1.76 goals against. Pretty good numbers. The order's power play, 31.2%. Second in the NHL. Penalty kill, 90.2%. Best in the NHL. How about five-on-five five scoring? They're five-on-five five goals, for fourth most. Five-on-five five goals against, second, fewest. They have the best ratio because they are plus 107. They score 2.55 goals per game, five-on-five, five, and they allow 1.48. Best in the NHL. So their offense is good, power play or five-on-five. Their defense is good, penalty kill or five on five. Their goaltending's good. What's what's the area that you can pick? Oh, they're relying on this. They're relying on that. They're relying on no. They're not. So they're just a good team, and it'll be interesting. I'm kind of looking forward to that Vegas game. A, it's a record uh, time potential game, which is nice. So we'll talk to Troy Loney about that when you know the team gets on a run. What do you remember about it? Uh, How disappointing was it that ended in a tie, 1993? Of course, no shootouts. There was overtime, but uh, no shootouts. And so that was their last 18 games of the regular season. 17-0-1. Pretty good. They were the two-time defending cup champion. And uh, they they breezed through the first round and then got upset by the Islanders in the second round. So, hey, we know there's no guarantee. But it still didn't change how dominant the uh, 93 pens were. We'll talk to Troy Loney about it next on the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440 Live and Orders Nation YouTube and Facebook presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Welcome back. Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca, where you can uh, get in the game. And, uh, hey, it is Lotto 649 Wednesday at uh, PlayAlberta.ca. Good luck. $38 million. Uh, The uh, classic jackpot is five. So about your chance to win tonight. PlayAlberta.ca. Nobody won. Lotto Max yesterday, so it's up to 40 mil. Oof, would be nice. Very, very nice. Let's get to our big guest. Of the day uh, brought to you by Silent Rides Charter Company, one of Alberta's premier bus charter companies with state-of-the-art motor coaches that safely take you or your group to the next destination. Go to Silent Ice. They're silentrides.ca and book your ride. Today, uh, we are joined by a gentleman who is a Stanley Cup champion, also a member of the uh, team who holds the NHL record for most consecutive wins at uh, 17, the... uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, 1992-1993, who were the uh, two-time defending champs when that uh, season began, uh, started their run at home on March 9th against Boston. The funny part was they were 1-4-1 in their previous six games. And then they got red hot. They won 17 games in a row before tying their final regular season game. 6-6, old-fashioned shootout against the uh, New Jersey Devils. Uh, Troy Loney joins us to uh, talk about uh, some uh, great Penguins teams. Troy, welcome to the show. How you doing?
2: I'm doing good. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: Hey, I, I appreciate it, Troy. What What do you remember of that uh, 17 game heater back in 1973? I heard
2: 1993. Yeah, uh, wasn't 73, but I appreciate you thinking I was 20 years older. <laughs> but um, we, uh, you know, for, it was we were coming off back to back Stanley Cup. And that year, you know, was probably the best team I ever played on. We were very, very good. Yeah. Um And we got into that groove and got into that role, and uh, you know, it was it was just something that was it was kind of you know, uh, once the momentum got going, we were going to win. And uh, it was fun to be part of. You know, you look back on it now, and you kind of wonder. You know, good time to burn that much energy heading into the playoffs, and you know. My answer would be no. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was fun to be part of during the regular season for sure.
1: Do you remember at the time when you guys got close? Because at that time, the, the NHL record was 15, set by the uh, the 1982 New York Islanders. Uh, when you guys were at 13, 14, was it discussed at all in the room?
2: Yeah, it was, it was talked about. You know, Scotty Bowman was, Bowman was our coach that year. Um, it, was, it was Scotty's second year uh, in a row at that time. And, and Scotty was always pretty aware of records and who had the records and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we, we knew it was there. We knew we had the team to do, and we, and we had a team, you know, you know that could win any way really. We, yeah. could, we could win the big scoring games because we had the powerhouse to score. We could win a good good game defensively. So it wasn't like there was anybody style we couldn't play against. Um, but, yeah, we we knew it was there. We knew, we, we, you know, we definitely were talking about it.
1: So when you when you look back on something like that, you mentioned, well, and and it's interesting, because you guys didn't win the Stanley Cup, people are like, wow, the record doesn't mean anything. And I'm always kind of like, well, first of all, you can't win the Cup in the regular season. It's impossible. You can set yourself up. You can play really well. You can lose the Cup by not getting yourself in the playoffs. But, Troy, as a guy who's won the Stanley Cup, you would know that, you know, kind of once the regular season ends – it's a new season, the game becomes way more physical, usually it's much more intense and you're going completely different. You go from playing different teams every night, every second night to playing the same team for seven straight days. Did like when you look back on it, obviously it doesn't compare to a Stanley Cup, but w- what are you most proud of of that 17 game streak?
2: Well, every you know, especially when you're coming off winning back-to-back Stanley Cup, everybody wants a piece of you, so it's not like you having an easy game any night. Because everybody wants to knock off the defending camp, uh, champion, and everybody wants to knock somebody off of a winning streak. So that means that you've got to be playing that much better to be able to win those games. So just the consistency to be able to do that was something, you know, to really be, to be cool. I mean, you know, you, you know, a lot of guys will say you've been on teams and you you're, you're, you're pretty sure you can win games, but that was a team that. You know, we were all very comfortable. If we were down a couple goals, even down three goals, we still had the team that could win the game. So being part of something like that was very, uh, very special. And, and to be in that kind of a groove, it's, it, you know, it, it was, it was really, really
1: cool to be part of that. Troy Loney uh, joins us. And, you know, Troy, you look back at that Pittsburgh team. Obviously, Marilyn Mew one of the greatest players ever. Yarmir Jagger. You had Ron Francis. But, you know, you also had Rick Talkett, who's now a coach in uh, in Vancouver. Um, you know, so you had Kevin Stevens. You had a really good mix. You had the skill guys. But then you had a lot of toughness yourself, right? Uh, you know, a guy who could score double-digit goals and then also uh, wasn't afraid to drop the mitts if if necessary. Um what, what was it about kind of when you joined the Penguins? Because you were drafted into that organization, right? You were drafted actually before Merrill Lemieux, and, uh, you know, you came in the NHL. Uh, I think his, uh, you were, you had played the year before and then after he was drafted, he came in as a rookie. You were there. Like, did he, did you know instantly in 84, 85? You're like, okay, like things are going to change. They didn't change overnight, but did you say, okay, like it's coming because we got 66?
2: Well, I didn't think get a player like that. And It's not like he came in the league and struggled in the beginning. He was <laughs> she was good from the moment the moment he came to training camp. You could tell he was that kind of a special and gifted player. But you know, it always takes. You know, when a team has struggled, you know, the Penguins struggled so so mightily for all those years before. It's tough to shake that 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 shadow of losing. It just it just is. And it took us. You know, it wasn't like you know Mario showed up one day and the next day we were in the playoffs and then we won Stanley Cup. If you look back on it, it took us, you know, four or five years to get the right pieces together. And, you know, we went through a lot of different coaches. You know, in my 10 years with the Penguins, I think I had eight or nine different coaches. That's a lot of coaching. Yeah. And, you know, until you get the right people in, whether coaches, GMs, make the moves, and you talk about the guys we had on that team, you know, you don't just fall into players like Lemieux and and Francis and, you know, Trotty was on that team and Taka was on that team and old Samuelson and Larry Murphy and, you know, Yager. I mean, Tom Barasso, there's a lot of of very, very good players on that team. So, but you still got to shake that, that mindset of can, can the organization win, let alone the team, but can the organization win? And it was, it was, it was nice to be part of that journey frustrating for sure at times, but very nice to see us come out on the other end
1: of it. What was interesting about your team, kind of similar in a way to to Tampa Bay, now it was a little bit of a gap, but Tampa Bay had made it to the Stanley Cup Final in 2015, then they had that, you know, unbelievable year in 19, lost in the first round, and then finally won two Cups in 20 and 21. You guys, you know what, uh, when you became a regular in in the NHL, uh, was in in 87, 88, you'd be up and down like a lot of young guys, uh, you know, from the American League to the NHL back and forth, and then uh, in your second year Year you guys made the playoffs. You won around. So now you're probably thinking, okay, now we're on the way up. When you look back at the 1990 season, Troy, and you missed the postseason, what what went wrong after finally getting in in 1990 for your team? What happened then?
2: You know, we had we had a coaching. I we had another coaching change and another GM change at the time. And you know, I don't think we we didn't necessarily have the depth to do. Um, to to go much farther. And we didn't, it felt like almost like we didn't improve uh, as a team. We had uh, some similar players, but we didn't get better as an organization. And I I don't know that we truly believed we were there. We played well enough to get into the playoffs, but I don't know that uh, the organization of the city or anything felt like we had really kind of, you know, landed in our spot. And in those days, you know, the Patrick division was very, very tough. There were a lot of very good teams in the Patrick division. It wasn't like, you know, there were there were teams that teams were ma- mailing it in. So it was some, um, you know, it was a good a good shock for the organization. We shook things up after, after we didn't get to the playoffs, I think halfway through the following year. That's when Craig Patrick came in. You know, he coached in GM for a while, so he got close enough to see what we had and what we didn't have. Then he just pulled off some magical moves. In, in, in bringing guys into the organization and Badger Bob in the coach. And, you know, I mean, you know, Alberta would know him from, from coaching in, in, uh, in Calgary and just totally changed the, the, the philosophy, the feeling, the energy uh, with the team. It was uh, a dramatic change.
1: Troy Loning joins us, two-time uh, Stanley Cup champion, uh, also member of the uh, Penguins who uh, currently hold the NHL record uh, with a 17-game winning streak. The Edmonton Orders could tie that record if they are able to defeat Vegas next Tuesday. Uh, Troy, you know, you won the two cups and then of course, uh, you, you guys have that great run in 93. And, like, it's funny. You win two Stanley Cups, and, and I've talked to a few other players from, the, from those Penguins teams. They're like, God, the 93-1 still bugs you, because that might have been your best team. And, you know, like the, the Islanders, anything can happen in the postseason. You know, do, How long did it take you to get over that
2: 93-1? It took a long time. <laughs> it took a very long time. And, and that was, you know, for, for many of us, too, that was, uh, you know, I left uh, in the expansion draft that summer, so I kind of knew I well, probably wasn't going to be around uh, at that time, anyways, but but if you look back, uh, you know, teams that win the Presidents Cup, it's it's hard to keep up that kind of winning energy. You know, the, the, you know, what I think sometimes gets lost is you have to tap into a lot of emotion and a lot of emotional energy to win games, and you have to be able to dial it up a notch in the playoffs. And we were gassed. you know, when you when you go that long. For three years in a row, we did it. The first year we won the cup. The summer's short now. You've got a long season the next year. Everybody wants you to win the Stanley Cup again. Now the next year you come back, so your your energy levels are down after kind of three three years. That then you burn all that energy to win that many games in a row at the end of the season. Now you're you know you're in the playoffs and you you, you just to find that next level. We just couldn't seem to find it. We just got a little bit out of sync and couldn't seem to find it and get to game seven. And, you know, Glenn Healy stands on his head and, and we lose the game. Kevin Steven has that, 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 that massive injury during that game. Yeah, uh, it, it was, it was a, you know, it, it was, I would say, you know, you gotta be cautious on how much energy you burned uh, at different times during the season. Not that, not that you'd coach to lose, but you know, maybe you can coach not to win so hard sometimes.
1: Hmm, interesting. So you left Pittsburgh, you know, you started out on an organization that wasn't winning very much. And then obviously you, you got to the top twice, which is amazing. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you look back in your career you're like, oh, my God, what a fun career I had. Then you go to Anaheim and you're the first ever captain. In Anaheim Ducks history, Uh, he also uh, set a career high that year in goals, uh, despite missing 20 games. You had 13 uh, Genos that year, Troy. On a personal note, how fun was it, how challenging was it to go from perennial top dog to an expansion team?
2: Well, it was, you know, it was better than when I got to the Penguins early in my career. Okay. You know, Pittsburgh was, has not not always been the hockey town that, that it turned into for sure. Um, you know, we had six thousand people in the arena. I got to go to a place where there was a brand new arena at the time called the Pond. It was the crowd was definitely into the game, maybe not quite sure what exactly why they were into the game, but there was a lot of activity and we were owned by Disney. So they made everything everything a show. Everything was entertainment. So the change in all of that was very uh, interesting to be part of. It was fun to be you know, somewhere where there was warm weather and sunshine. Um, so that part was, was fun to do. And, and, you know, we had a lot of guys um, on that team that were, you know, probably had similar careers to me and many of us did. We were third, fourth line guys at other organizations and some guys were young guys maybe um, that didn't have the success early uh, in their careers with whatever organization they were with. So, The bonding that we had a team and Ron Wilson was our coach and you know we had a very good team for an expansion team uh, especially the way the expansion was done in those days yeah um, a fun time a good change um, and and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it
1: Troy Loney joins us and so Troy you went there and obviously got to play more you're the captain of a team you mentioned Disney's running everything is there one one memory of just kind of you're like okay now we're kind of maybe in in the big time when it comes to production what was the one thing you did you know or came to the game presentation that you're just like okay this is completely different than what I what I've experienced in my career to this point
2: <laughs> well a couple things one you know before before one of our first games um, you know, Disney and, and their folks we were, were wheeling people in and out of our locker room, you know, five minutes before we're going out for the game, um, you know, like it was a backstage pass. And that's, uh, that's very unusual in the hockey world. So we had to kind of say, hey, you can't, you know, we had Kurt Russell was coming through the locker room, you know, which was, which was pretty cool. But we were still trying to get ready to, uh, to play a game. And then, you know, when, when you scored a goal, um, Tinkerbell would, would, uh, they would show the replay of the goal and Tinkerbell would come down from the, the you know, you, your pictures up on a Jumbotron and she'd come down and, and hit you with a wand and put a little pixie dust on you. So that was definitely, definitely unique and definitely part of the Disney production.
1: Oh, that is uh, awesome! So now it's five minutes before the game. Guys want to be focused. Kurt Russell at that time pretty major star, so he comes in. Uh, was he shaking everybody's hand, is he, or was he just in and out? And uh, eventually, you as the captain, did you have to say, "Okay, guys, like we might, you know, hey, we, we'd love to meet all these guys, but can we maybe do it after the game?" How did how did how that conversation go? Yeah,
2: that that's kind of he's he walked in, did ever shake everybody's hand, which us all good luck, and then after the game, I went to the. So the, so our, and our coach knew it right away. Ron yeah. was like, "Hey, well, he didn't know what was going to happen, um, but he went in and said, hey, this is this is something we can't make it happen.' So, and Disney was very respectful, and they knew they didn't really know the space, and that was their first foray into sports. Because if you remember at the time, uh, they started with the Ducks, and then they bought the Angels, and then they actually wanted to buy the Clippers. They were going to do a whole thing, and, you know, and try to get into the football world. Um, but they were really good. Uh, they treated us very, very well."
1: Yeah. Uh now Troy you're you're from Bow Island, Alberta, which I think is about a half an hour outside of Medicine Hat if my uh geography is correct. So, um are you the are you uh, you're proud uh, resident of Bow Island? Uh, I'm assuming you must have played some of your minor hockey at some point in Medicine Hat. Um c- kind of take me a little bit back to to your minor hockey journey. Yeah, uh yeah, I
2: was from uh I was 30 miles from Medicine Hat heading towards Lethbridge, but I uh, played all my minor hockey uh, in uh, in the Bow Island area in the in the Spud League at the time, so played against other small towns, box hall, foremost, you know, little towns down in southern Alberta, and then played uh, Junior B in Tabor, Tabor, Alberta. Okay, and from there went to um, played my uh, major junior with the Lethbridge Broncos and the Sutter Boys um, up in Lethbridge, which is about an hour away from where I grew up.
1: Oh, man, that's a, you know what, it's it's funny, like, I, I like the, you know, guys coming from small places, and, you know, Tabor, and then moving around, to, you know, there's a, there's a great hockey uh, experience down in Leftbridge, and Medicine Hat, and, and that part of it, uh, Art, now, do you live there? Troy, where are you living now? Uh,
2: I live in Pittsburgh, actually.
1: Oh, okay, so you went back to where all your success was, smart.
2: I, I went back to, yeah, and, uh, yeah, my wife and I uh, raised uh, four kids in the Pittsburgh area, and. Still live in the in the U.S., but get back to you know the Bo Island, uh, Blue Island area uh, once every year. I still have my mom is there and uh, mother in law, and I have a brother in Fort McMurray and a brother in uh, in uh, Halifax. So still strong Canadian tires and, uh, and ties and ties to Alberta as well.
1: Well, uh, Troy, I got to get your thoughts in on, on the current edition of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, you know, they're right there, but, I, you know, I think people were expecting more. They're at a unique place where their best players are are all getting old. And it's hard now in today's NHL, to, you know, to kind of go full rebuild. It's difficult. Uh, what do you make of the Penguins? Or do you think they're going to get in?
2: You know, I think, you know, I think slash hope they're going to get into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, when you've got Crosby playing at such a high level for such a long period of his career, you know, I think they, they probably lack some good mid, mid-career mid energy in that uh, uh, in their organization. And that's hard to find. And typically, you, you know, you've probably got to trade away a little talent for that. And I, I don't think the Penguins have got to that, have not come to that philosophical place where they realize they have to do that yet. So you know, I, I think if they got into the playoffs, they would have to stay incredibly healthy, and they would have they got to find a third or fourth line that can take away some of the minutes from their top two lines. Because you know, we all we all age, and it's hard to play that that at that high energy level for that long as you get a little longer in your career.
1: Well, Troy, thanks so much uh, for uh, taking us down uh, memory lane a little bit. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, continued success in uh, Pittsburgh, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for your time. Thank you, and have a good day. That's uh, Troy Loney, a two-time Stanley Cup winner with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was uh, drafted by the Pens in 1982, was a, a third-rounder, 52nd overall, which I guess would now be a second-rounder. Right, he played for the Leftbridge uh, Broncos. Rugged, uh, you know, Rugged up-and-down winger, physical player. And uh, really was, you know what, kind of was like a role guy in junior with some hands, did score 33 goals his uh, his final year in junior. And uh, when he got to the NHL, he was a bottom six guy. Killed penalties, could fight, and uh, ended up being the first ever captain for the Ducks, won two Cups in Pittsburgh. It's a real good career, man. It's a real good career. Uh, Interesting what he said about... Maybe you can coach to not have to win at certain times of the season. That was is interesting because you only have so much energy. I found that uh, kind of fascinating. So we'll, uh, we'll get to that and more. 242 on the Wednesday edition of the Gregor Show in Sports 1440. Got a lot of text to get to. 833-401-1440. It's the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca and also Todd Ramchuck. 245 on a lovely Wednesday afternoon. Welcome back. Jason Gregor. Connor Halley with you. Our uh, who is it Wednesday kind of got uh, discombobulated, so uh, we won't have one today. But uh, we already have them lined up for the next few weeks. So In case you're wondering why didn't give you any hints today, it's because no, we're not having one now. I could just do random, try to guess the uh, athlete. Maybe we'll do that in the next uh, segment. Could be uh, could be fun to uh, to see if uh, any of you can how good you are on your uh, random knowledge. Because it's always good to just come up with some random facts about uh, different players on on different eras and different teams and stuff. So yeah, maybe we'll do it. Sports fans love a little trivia. Do you have the good memory? We'll see. Uh, Let's get to the oil report now, brought to you by Volvo Cars, Emmonton.com. Now, uh, I'm not sure if they have a great memory, but I will say this they have a great track record of success. They just won their 13th Excellence Award in overall sales and customer service. Across the country They are one of the best And uh, the leaders The number one Volvo dealership In Canada Right here in Edmonton com. As uh, we welcome to the show Our uh, regular Wednesday contributor From uh, ordersnation.com, Tyler Irenchuk uh, Joins us uh, Ty, how you doing?
0: I'm doing good Jake, coming to you live from Toronto For All-Star Weekend
1: Ooh, nice uh, Have you uh, have you picked who's going to win The skills competition?
0: I don't know. This is an interesting one because of the cash prize. I actually feel like Connor McDavid will be going kind of all out for this one. So he's maybe the chalky pick, but I think he'd be my pick as lame as that might sound.
1: Yeah. Uh, Nathan McKinnon. I don't know why, but I think uh, old Nate dog might have a, uh, might have himself a great run. What You know what? There's, there's lots of guys I could say, Hey, like if Kucherov off one, I wouldn't be like, Oh, not surprised. I think actually I might've picked him on the rundown. So, um, you know, Leon Drysdale's pretty talented player, right? They they and they're going to pick, you know, the best events that they can avoid, right? So now they do have to I know we were outlining it yesterday. I, I think they they get to pick uh, out of the six events and then if you make it to the second round everybody does the same and then if you make it to the final everybody does the same uh, event. Do you know what the final two events are?
0: No, I actually don't. I mean, I've been I've been in transit most of the day, so I haven't really had a chance to sit down and really get ready for All-Star weekend, but I again, I I just love the format. So whatever the final two events are, there's like going to be some drama at the end of the skills competition, which is really nothing we've ever had before.
1: No, no, not at all. You've never had it. I think it's great and I you know what? Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. The NBA slam dunk competition was awesome and it always had the big names. And then eventually it kind of eroded and you don't get to see the big stars in it all the time, which I think is yeah, you know, good, but also not as good. So hopefully for the NHL, at least the next few years, you'll always see the big guns in this. Uh Eventually, I could see some of them saying, man, eh, no, I'm good. But, you know, if you get two or three years with McDavid, that's fine. Um The, uh you know, I, I was. Looking at the standings, I was looking at the schedule the remainder of the way. The Orders play the most games. They have the most sets of uh, back-to-backs, although one of them is really only difficult in travel. The, the rest, have got a few that are both in Edmonton, maybe in Edmonton and Calgary, or Anaheim and L.A., so it's it's not crazy. But we just had Troy Loney on, and he talked about, you know, yeah, only have so much energy at times. And uh, especially in April, when the Orders play 10 games in 18 days, including five games in the last week, of the season and and the way it's set up this year ty is the regular season ends on the 18th they want the playoffs to start on the 20th so you know the orders are playing five games in seven days it could be six and nine you know what i mean like it's it's not ideal i know it's a long ways away but i'll be curious you know how chris knoblock massages that last week of the regular season especially if they're in the hunt for home ice advantage
0: Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like, Hey, who knows? Maybe the Oilers keep humming along at a 700 points percentage kind of pace. And we're in the final four games of the season. And it's like, ah, you're not catching Vancouver and you're kind of locked into that two spot, So you can start resting guys, but that's also a bit of a delicate balance. It's the age old debate in sports of rest versus rust. And I think we've heard a lot and we've even seen a lot in the NHL. Look at Florida last year, right? You want to be playing your best hockey right before the playoffs. You want to have, that momentum you want to be feeling good about yourselves so there's a part of me that's like you know maybe earlier in the month in april you make sure everyone's recovered from any little bumps or bruises they may have but you probably want to make sure your lines are set and you're playing with a good amount of momentum going into the playoffs i don't know if you want to get cute and start resting guys if you have a spot locked up
1: yeah i well the problem is how can you rest guys when you only have a 21-man roster, right? <laughs> like, what are you going to do there, right? So uh, that, that's that's the other challenge, I think, uh, uh for the Edmonton Orders is you just, you don't have the cap space. And, and I would think between now and March 8th, Ty, they are going to maximize uh their cap space. I know uh, Hart at uh, Puck Petey had put it out that if they run a 21-man roster between now and the rest of the regular, uh, now until the deadline, they would have about $2 million in cap space. But... I don't think they're going to run. uh I can I could see them this coming week not calling up Phil Kemp because why do you? You come back, everybody's healthy. The Vegas game, you don't need him. And then and he's right in California anyway. If somebody gets hurt, you don't play till Friday. You can call him up then. And if not, you don't call him up for the Friday game. And if someone gets hurt, well then he just gets and comes to LA the next day anyway, right? So so you can save, and every day it matters. But I don't see them running a twenty one man roster through the deadline. Do you?
0: No, I don't think so either. I I think at some point you want to have that kind of insurance built in. I mean, especially when you're on the winning streak as well. You don't want to run a chance that, hey, you're trying to keep the here going and all of a sudden you need to play a game with one less guy. But it is, I mean, I guess encouraging, not surprising, but the Oilers are keeping an eye on this thing like Dylan Holloway was in air quotes sent down to bakersfield he's not going to play games for the condors that's purely a cap manipulation play right so they're keeping an eye on it and i think it's going to set them up to hopefully make a big splash ahead of march 8th
1: when you say big splash how high of a splash are you expecting
0: Oh, it's so tough because right now, and I, you know, I scour Frank's list over a daily face off and I've written a couple of articles up at the nation as of late detailing, okay, let's go through the 10 defensemen on his list. Let's go through the top 10 forwards. Who are the fits and none of them are an Ekholm esque fit, right? Like when Ekholm popped up on the market and it was like, okay, Nashville's open to trading him. It was like It's Like this guy would is exactly what the Edmonton Oilers need. They should move anything they can to get their hands on him. And right now, I don't see that with anyone around the league. Like, I like Sean Monaghan, but I don't love Monahan. I don't want to give up a first for Sean Monahan. I really like Adam Henrique, but the cap gymnastics there are incredibly complicated. So I think right now the Oilers and, you know, luckily their winning streak has afforded them this opportunity. They can sit on their hands probably right up until that final week ahead of the deadline. I don't think they need to go jump the market or anything like that, because at this point, there's not a big splash defenseman that makes sense. There's not a big splash forward that makes sense. Like I don't think Elias Lindholm is a very real possibility. The one name I keep coming back to, Gregs, is if the Devils decide to sell, Tyler Toffoli is the guy. If you get him at 50% retained, that's a playoff performer, a guy who would slot perfectly into that second-line right-wing spot. I could see him gelling really well with Leon Drysettle just in the way they play. That's a guy. If New Jersey falls out of it, and who knows? As other teams fall out, other players might become available. But To Foley, I think, is who I've hitched myself to is the dream target for the Oilers.
1: Yeah, I actually looked at uh, him and we, we busted it down. You probably could get him at twenty five percent. You get a third team in like Ryan O'Reilly. It costs you a fourth to do that, right? Um, because though the, I think there's two, I I firmly believe the Oilers are going to add a veteran defenseman, right? To, who's like a you know a number seven uh just because you know they need depth on the blue line teams there's all there seems to be a few more injuries on the blue line than there is up forward for whatever reason in the playoffs you know more physical blocking shots i have no idea why um there is lots of talk about you know upgrading Cody Ceci and i've said it for you want to upgrade Cody Ceci you can make a strong argument that you would like to the problem is I- you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't view Sean Walker as an upgrade. I, I think it's a very risky move to add in a guy who's had really good 45, 50 games, but he's he's got no playoff experience and he definitely doesn't have any playoff experience playing against the top guys. Right. And when you're in a year where, Everybody feels the orders are super close. I would rat if I was the Edmonton orders, Tyler. I would I would look at giving Vinny DeHarnay a chance with Darnell Nurse before I would go out and get Sean Walker. I'm not. He doesn't move the puck like Sean Walker, but size does matter in the playoffs. It's been proven. Unless you're an elite defender. Right, guys like Kale McCarr, et cetera. And Sean Walker's a good defenseman, I don't view him as an elite defenseman. So where do you come out on Walker and then uh, even the next tier in Carrier?
0: Well yeah, and, and like I like Sean Walker. I've watched him play this year, he's having a hell of a season, but to me it's like it, it- if you believe it's a little upgrade on CC is that little upgrade worth one sacrificing CC from the roster to make the money work Two, giving up a draft pick and taking the risk on chemistry as well. Like Darnell nurse and Cody CC have played like twenty-two five on five minutes together. That's a lot of time they've spent together. They have chemistry together. The Oilers D pairings have basically stayed the exact same ever since they acquired Matias Ekholm. So for me, if I'm going to disrupt that chemistry, if I'm going to give up assets, I'm only doing it if it's someone you can look at the same way you looked at at home last year, and you go, that is a clear cut slam dunk, whatever cliche you want to throw in. They're an upgrade, and there's no ifs about it. And for me, with Walker, as much as this bounce back has been impressive, and he's having a good year, and I think he has a future as a top four D man. He's not a slam dunk upgrade right now. So I'm not taking that risk. I'm not disrupting the chemistry. I'm not giving up assets for a guy who maybe at best is a marginal upgrade.
1: And and the other thing is, if you look at how the orders deploy their defense, they don't have a clear cut number one pair. They have two pairs that play very even minutes. The difference is uh, Bouchard gets uh, a little bit more offensive start, as he should. And uh, him and Ekholm play way more with McDavid. As they should. He's their best offensive player, so I, defenseman, I should say. So I understand why they do it. But it's not like where other teams will have a top pair, of guys, and they're playing 25 minutes, and then your second pair is down at 21. That's not how Edmonton does. Uh, Bouchard, who leads their team in five-on-five five minutes, is 40th per game amongst NHL defensemen. 40th. Now, CC is fourth on the orders, but he's 72nd. That's basically four guys. If you look at each team having, you know, 64 defensemen in your top, the orders have four as far as five on five minute eaters. So they actually play, they don't have one guy who eats a lot, but they got four who play a lot. And so to me, it's, it, it's almost like you have a one A, one B in how they deploy. So I'm not even, it's, there's no big gap in the minutes and come playoff time, they're not going to play Darnell Nurse less.
0: No, and we've seen that over the last couple of years. They don't play Darnell Nurse less, and I know everyone wants to point to last year when you know the numbers show that CC and Nurse kind of got caved at five on five, and I, and I totally get that. But during their run to the Western Conference Finals the year before that, at five on five, the Oilers outscored the opposition with Cody CC on the ice. So again, I, I think there's an argument to be made about upgrading Cody CC. I think that should be something the Oilers look to do ahead of March eighth but it needs to be a clear-cut. Like, I'm not doing this for Sean Walker. Even Chris Tanner, Like, I agree, Chris Tanev is better than Cody Ceci, but is it worth that price? Is it worth taking the risk? I'm not sold on it. I think I'd rather see them upgrade the forward group if no new names pop up on the D market.
1: Yeah. So it, it will be fascinating. The Do you think they need an, uh, a fourth-line center? If McLeod and, and Holloway are going to play together on the third line, do they need a fourth-line center, or are you happy with Derek Ryan?
0: I don't know if I love Derek Ryan's ability to play center, especially in a playoff series. The name that sticks out to me is Nick Dowd in Washington. He creeped into the top 10 on Frank's board. He's got an extra year on his deal at $1.3 He doesn't bring you any offense. And the reason I scoffed at the Nick Dowd thing a couple of months ago when people were bringing it up was because he's not a third-line center for me. If you're trying to win a Stanley Cup, I don't think you want Nick Dowd running your 3C just because there's no offense there. But if he's your 4C and he's the right shot who helps you kill penalties and win some important draws for you, then I think he makes a ton of sense. And hey, if Washington, maybe you can sweeten the pot a little bit and get them to retain on some of this. And you get Nick Dowd for the rest of this run dirt cheap and you get him for all of next year dirt cheap as well. That's one that I'd be interested in, but it also sounds like there's a pretty strong market forming for Dowd. So do I want to overpay for a guy like that when you know, looking at the depth chart, he's going to be stapled in as your fourth line center? I don't know if I want to overpay for that either. Like, It's a weird market, Greg. There's so many teams kind of in the mushy middle where they don't know if they're sellers yet, and there's a bunch of teams in the West who – all look like I mean, I'm going to include L.A. in the conversation, but those seven teams in the West all look like they have Stanley Cup aspirations. So there's seven aggressive sellers and only a couple of true or sorry, seven aggressive buyers and only a couple of true sellers right now. And it's just led to not that many interesting players being on the market, if we're being honest.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And, and here's the thing. It's January 31st. Is we, 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 alluded to, uh, Matthias Eckholm at, at this time last year, he wasn't on the trade market. And then Nashville decided to make him available. And those, and the other thing is I talked to two, uh, other GMs and, uh, I said, I always find it interesting when people will, will talk about this one trade that really works out and they just expect you to be able to make another one. Like those trades are very rare. They're very like you go across the league, not just for one team, but just around the league. Like it's hard to have a trade like that. A, the players don't come available very often. And B, to get one and really and and blatantly win the trade, that's also pretty rare.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's why, again, I think there's a chance the Oilers just check down a little bit at this deadline. As much as I'd love to see a Toffoli-type trade, I'm not sold it's going to happen. As much as I'd love to see a right-shot Matias Ekholm-type deal, I don't think that trade's going to be out there. It might be a deadline where you sit there and you're doing a Kulikov-esque deal like you did a few years ago. Fourth-round pick, get a veteran defenseman in, use him as your number seven, a little bit of a safer play than Broberg maybe. And then you get a fourth line center and maybe you add another layer of forward depth. But as much as I think the Oilers are in push the chips in win now mode and all of that stuff, if the market's not there, the market's not there. And you shouldn't just spend assets and spend money just for the sake of doing it. Like it needs to be a good fit. And like you said, it's tough to make those kinds of trades.
1: Uh, lastly, the uh, the hype in Toronto around the All-Star game. Uh, you know what? The, you mentioned the, uh, the money on the line. So uh, it'll be fun. Um, uh, now, is it true if you're the last pick in the draft, you get a car? Is that true?
0: Oh, I remember they did that however many years ago. I, again, I'm not sure. I just kind of oh, okay. got in. I haven't even gotten my media pass yet. So uh, I'm not up to date with anything, which is a terrible thing to say as someone doing a radio hit from All-Star Weekend.
1: Oh, okay. I was just curious because I'm like, are we are we serious now? We're giving away a car because someone gets picked last. And in a Well, I call it the very good game. It's not even the All-Star game. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We shall see. Uh, anyway, Ty, uh, enjoy Toronto. Uh, is this your. Uh, no, you've been to TO a few times, obviously, but uh, where will you be? Are uh, you and Frank, you guys going out of the town tonight?
0: Uh, yeah, we got a little team dinner tonight. I got bagged milk with me. Liam's here as well. We got a whole crew from Oilers Nation and Daily Face Off, so I'm sure we'll be ripping it up tonight.
1: Oh, geez. Well, pace yourself, kids.
0: <laughs> I know. Pace yourself. I know. Have a good one. Thanks, Greg.
1: That's uh, Tyler here. I'm Chuck from uh, Oilers Nation and uh, the Daily Face Off podcast. Uh, Three o'clock, we'll come back. We've got, man, the text line is just humming today. I love it. 833-401-1440. We'll get to all of that after the con man and a sports 1440 update brought to you by BIE Engineering, specializing in all your residential, commercial, and industrial, structural engineering needs. Go to BIEENG.com.